I'm going to start. Uh, you're the technical guy, man. I'm, gonna, I'm just on the talent side. You're talent and tech. <laughs> I am going to start recording to my computer. I'll do it next time as an experiment. Okay. The other thing is that last weekend, um, on Saturday and Sunday from 8 to 6, World Vision had a film crew here, and they filmed Edith and I for two days. And uh, it's for a thing that Sung Chan Ra and a bunch yeah. of people were doing on, and it showed yesterday morning, I think, yeah. uh, like discipleship, these pastors, it may be with his denomination, I can't remember, or but anyway, it's a, like a discipleship thing, you know, and they showed like black folks and Asian folks and, you know, native folks. And each week or each month, they're focusing on a different group with this cohort of pastors. And so they came here and shot these videos. And, um, and so now I think World Vision may be using them as well. So, uh, of that us. That is incredible. All right, I'm going to play the intro music. So let's let's get started. Let's talk about everything that's going on. Uh, we want to say welcome on. to piecing it all together. I'm Bo Sanders. I'm Randy Woodley. We are piecing this all together with you. We have uh, been looking forward to talking about spring. Yeah, a lot of pieces flying. So there's a lot of piecing it all together today. Yeah, the the together part's going to become important today because there's a lot of moving parts. Hey, Randy, I am very intrigued by some stuff I have seen you posting on uh, Facebook. And so I want to ask you about a couple of those. But I wanted to start with uh, you being on your in your farm for spring. What does it look like to be at your farm for the first spring? Yeah. So a couple things. Uh, one is um, in Oregon, uh, north in the Willamette Valley in Oregon, it looks like rain a lot. And rain. so you can't get a whole lot done. Yeah. So, you know, there are so many days where we're like, oh, my gosh, if I could just be out there and, you know, the and then and then you get like dry for two days, but the dirt's still too uh, clumpy to rototill. And, uh, and, and so you have to wait again, then it starts raining. And so, oh my gosh, we are looking forward to, uh, you know, some days where everything's all dried up, yeah. where we can actually get something done. Now, in the midst of that, we still finished our greenhouse. Mm -hmm. um, we're ready to start planting the seeds in the greenhouse that we're going to be growing this year. Um, some things are best planted in the greenhouse and then other things like, you know, like uh, beans and squash and carrots and some other things you really shouldn't transplant they need to be corn of course they need to be planted directly into the ground um, but we're anxious to get started on all those things um, and uh, we have um, uh, been selling a lot of seeds by the way we were in a magazine and we actually had to shut our seed uh, portion down of the farm because 
it was just more than what we could handle for for us. Plus, we have all this other stuff we're doing, right? Just and then wait, we've gotten chickens. Wait, wait we built a chicken. chicken. I gotta <laughs> go back. Oh, no, no, I gotta keep going. There, <laughs> there's seed, so many things. So many things. <laughs> this seed story is so interesting. So when uh, Atlas Obscura, which is right, not that familiar to you, did a feature. <laughs> Right, did a feature, but you had you were not prepared for the attention that was going to come your way because oh of this thing, and you got more yeah. in a week than you usually get in a year. Oh yeah, and um, it, what it was, it was something like eight small seed companies you need to know about, right? Oh my, I love articles like and that. yeah, and I I um, I got. You know, there's some great seed companies in there. There's one I discovered that's, man, a really big help to us in terms of they're like a role model for us in terms of their educational process. It's called Fruition Seeds up in the Finger Lakes area in New York. Um, and they have so much uh, information that they give out there free. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of like we, what we want to be when we grow up as a seed company one day. Um, but, you know, we've only this is only our fourth year doing this. So, um so we're still sort of in the startup stages, but, but yeah, I mean, we had to take like 30 different um, seeds off our site during that time because we got so low that we've got to replant them this year, you know? And so now we're having trouble like finding room to replant everything. So. Oh my gosh. The problem with seeds is you can't just make more. <laughs> no, you have to, you have to make sure they grow and have a good year. Of course, it's all, it's like anything you depend on the, you know, farmers depend on the weather and uh, you, you know, if it keeps raining for too long or stays cold too long, you won't get the 90 to hundred, 110 days that some things need to mature. Right. So um, yeah. So it's all, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's living with the land and, and especially in this time of climate changes, yeah. crazy. We also got our chickens this week, yeah, let's talk about uh, that. last week, sorry. And, and so we've, uh, we've, we've got a chicken house built, but we're still in process of putting up the chicken yard around the house so that uh, during planting season and all that, you don't want your chickens running around your, your crops because they like those young little shoots that come up. Right. So, um, so we're not uh, just letting them loose right now. Sure. Um, and, but we're almost finished with the chicken yard. Uh, we've been doing that. Uh, we've been planting trees. Uh, we did have some help coming out here. A, a couple from our Elahe cohort uh, came out and were really gracious and they helped us plant some trees. And if it doesn't rain all day tomorrow, I've got a group of uh, student volunteers at Willamette University who are coming out going to help us plant some more trees. But we got so many things to do right now. It's just wow. like I have a long, long list. So anybody who wants to volunteer, yeah. uh, you're in the Portland metro area, come yeah. on out to Ayla Hay Farm, give us a call. We will put you to work, no doubt. Yeah, and even if you're not in the Portland area, but you want to do a road trip, you could uh, make a weekend out of it. Yeah, you you have to do a, like Airbnb or something right now because we don't have a place to accommodate people until we get all of our you know stuff built. But yeah, um, yeah but but we did have a group that came out from uh, uh, Whitworth University yeah. who did an Airbnb together, and uh, uh, so that worked is, out well. Is Whitworth in Spokane, Washington? Yeah, yeah, and they were here for like four or five days. Okay. Uh, 
So any any kind of help, man, we really appreciate. You know, now, there's just too much for us to do. Yeah, it's so much. Remind I me. I mean, we started this farm from scratch, right? Yeah. Uh, and we started moving here in April. We moved on the property in April. And then, you know, like there's a long, long list of everything that we had to do, including nine trips across from central Oregon to here, Edith and I by ourselves, just moving everything. So it wasn't until like June that we got really everything moved in that we could really start our farm. But in the meantime, we had to like build a seed room. We had to, um, like uh, get some boxes and build them and then plant some seeds. And about half of those crops came in that we planted last uh, May because uh, the rest of them didn't have time to mature, mm-hmm. but um, we, we, we at least got, we got half of half of what we planted that came in. So, and by next year, we'll have this all down. Randy, I am so excited for you. Uh, it has been so interesting to follow your journey uh, you know, and I, I haven't seen you physically in over a year. You were on a different in a different part of the state out in Malpin when COVID quarantine hit and our book came out and we haven't been able to have a book release party, but we're, we're dreaming about how to do that when uh, enough people get vaccinated that we can actually gather again. And then I made this to, fall. Yeah. And then I've had to watch you move to your new place without any assistance from me. And moving people is like one of my only strengths. It's one of my only gifts. And I wasn't able to help you out moving. Oh, well, you, you helped us move out there. Uh, not, not only were you just a big, strong guy that did all this, but you brought like three other guys, will you? They were like that, too. So that was a big help. So Yeah, I, I, I called in some favors. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so I have two questions about your new place. I saw that you you posted something about eggs the other day, which uh, because you got your chickens, and I'm excited that you're going to have eggs coming soon. That's really I, I that's one of my favorite parts of uh, your farm. But it made me remember a story you told one time about a relationship you had with the hawks. Uh, mm. Right. You actually both you and Edith saw hawks circling over your chickens when you first uh, had them uh, at the the other farm. And you both made a established a relationship or connected with the hawks to make sure that they would leave your chickens alone. Mm -hmm. And so when I found out you were getting chickens. I was like, wait a minute, what does that, what that, what's that going to look like in this, at this new place? Because aren't chickens sort of vulnerable to raptors? Yeah, especially owls. Um, so, so we, uh, yeah, that, that story, by the way, is going to be in the, the, the Becoming Rooted book um, yeah. that's coming out around Christmas time this year. Um, but, yeah, the, the, and the story goes, basically, I saw the hawks kind of circling over, and, uh, you know, we've always had a pretty good relationships w- with hawks, but I, so I talked to them, and I said, look, you can have anything on this property, you know, mice, whatever, squirrels, you know, but leave these chickens alone, because this is where we get our eggs, this, these are for us, and I went in the house and told Edith, hey, I saw some hawks, and I told them to leave our chickens alone, and she just looked at me and said, I already did that. <laughs> and uh, 
So we and you never, never we lost see, a chicken. No, we never lost a chicken. That's true. Um, there's a really beautiful white hawk that is in the, that circles around here every once in a while. Yeah. And um, but we haven't been outside when we've seen it. It's only like you know been inside, and so we haven't been able to spend much time. Uh, sort of in, in order to like communicate, right? Yeah. In whatever way that is. Uh, and so, you know, we, we haven't established that relationship yet. So, um, but we will. So the reason that story means so much to me is, you know, uh, I'm a white guy and not native, but sometimes people will ask me questions about an indigenous worldview or how to move away from a Western worldview, or they'll ask me, I'm like a safe person to ask questions that might be racist uh, or, or anti-Indian uh, to, if you are afraid, like they want to ask you, Randy, they want to ask you a question, but they're afraid that it's a racist question. So I'm a safe person to ask because as a fellow white person, I'll say, yeah, that that's racist. Right. But whenever people ask me a question about native indigenous uh, perspective, I always say to them, it's really important for you to understand how white I am. And then I tell them, <laughs> <laughs> and then I tell them that story about the Hawks. And I say, I want you to hear this story because I don't understand that story and I don't understand why it worked. I don't understand why the Hawks, they never lost a chicken. You have to understand how white I am, that it would have never dawned on me to have a relationship with the Hawks. Like, so it's important that you listen to actual indigenous voices, actual native folks, and not people who are adjacent or like slightly familiar with non-Western worldviews because there is an entire a relational mentality that is so beyond me. It's attractive to me, but it's not right. I'm not native to it. Not to. Right. To but, but you know, white people were all indigenous from somewhere at one time. Right. <laughs> Allegedly right? that's true, but we're so. Yeah. And, and he, and there are even white farmers today that are somewhat indigenous to their land. They they think of it differently than, you know, someone who's a, like an urbanite, for example. Um, not that an urbanite can't think indigenously. That's not what I'm saying. But um, yeah. but you don't have to be native to have a relationship with the land and the whole community of creation. I mean, the point is like uh, like Christians like to say they believe the Bible, but they they don't look at the scripture from that. And it's all over the scriptures. Um, so, you know, it's not that you have to, like, Native people don't have a copyright on nature. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's not it. It's just that if you can get in touch with that worldview that is pre-Western colonial, pre-Enlightenment yeah. worldview, then uh, you will begin to understand things differently. And I you know, I, I think that we all have been affected by that Western worldview. 
And so each of us has to sort of do our own, uh, you know, deconstruction and decolonizing, et cetera, to get in touch with a different worldview. And if it helps listening to indigenous people from here or Africa, places in Africa, or, you know, Papua New Guinea, or, you know, uh, Sami or aboriginals in Australia or wherever, if that's helpful, that's fine. Listen to them all, because what we all need, uh, if we're going to um, survive as caretakers of this earth, as co-sustainers, we all need to be uh, listening to indigenous people who live closely with the land, right? So, that, and that's not something that came natural for me. That's something that I had to train myself to do. Um, uh, yeah, so we're, we're all able to think in a different way. It's worldviews are not immutable, but it takes some work. So, you know, but I can tell you that a Western worldview will not sustain us into the future. I know that for certain. Yeah. And, and we can talk more about that um, because it is exposing itself in its limitations in a very bizarre way during this COVID crisis. It, it, it has right. manifested in some really weird expressions, but we can talk about that. I do want to tell you one thing I'm very excited about uh, for spring. So uh, I got a vision uh, last Thanksgiving and I asked everybody in my life uh, if they would, as a Christmas present, help me buy a new bicycle. And so everybody put uh, their Christmas money in one pool and I bought me a bicycle and not I just a bicycle. What's that? Not just a bicycle. What do you mean? It's one of those kinds with the big tires. What are those called? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not a mountain bike, but it, cause it can go on the road. So it's like a hybrid sort of, they call it like a gravel. There's different names for it, but okay. yeah, it's, um, you can ride it on the road, but you can also go on some, uh, you know, some rougher terrain with it. Right. And, uh, so I started biking. I just started biking and I started, I could only do like two miles because the lactic acid would build up in my legs. So I called a friend of mine who um, is a really, you know, knows a lot about biking and he has coached me. So then I, I was able to get up to 10 miles and blah, blah, blah. So in the last four months, just in the last four months, uh, since I came up with this vision. So I got the bike three months ago. Uh, I have logged almost a thousand miles and so as wow. I'm at my endurance, because my goal is to bike to the coast of Oregon from Portland, mm -hmm. bike to the coast and do a multi-day camping as I go. That's my, that's my, okay. that's what, so you're not going to do the regular coastal uh, biking that they do every year. You're going to do on, on your own. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm not vaccinated yet. I'm still social distancing. So this is sort of right. like a solo venture, but it gets my blood flowing and it also gets me outside. And so I really love it. Well, two, two funny things that I didn't see coming is I realized that if I was going to bike the next day that I needed to watch what I ate and drank the day before. So I ended up changing my diet and my, what I imbibe. I'd only basically drink water and uh, well, I have coffee in the morning, but I drink water the rest of the day because I'm hydrating for my ride. I ride every other day. 
And it has made a radical change in my life, eating healthier, not drinking adult beverages. It has made a, a huge thing. And it has me looking forward to spring. Uh, yesterday was my birthday. And I can honestly hey. tell you, hey, and I can honestly <laughs> tell you, I have not looked forward to a spring this much probably in my life between the prospect of getting vaccinated and ending quarantine and biking to the coast. If I, if my training continues to go well, Randy, I'm looking forward to whatever 2021 holds for me. I'm looking forward to it so much. All right. So, you know, yeah, I, I, you're, it's sort of a meta narrative, you know, this whole bicycle thing, you know, you're building up, you're building up and in two more years, you're going to be 50 and then it's all downhill from there. <laughs> no, that's terrible, <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> terrible, but it's true. So yeah, the other thing is that, you know, uh, I'm really happy that you're doing this and, you know, we all need to be paying more attention to our diet. That's, that's really important. Um, but I'm glad you, you, you gave the caveat about having coffee in the morning because we almost lost all of our Portland, yep. Portland and yep. Seattle listeners when you, and then you mentioned, yep. yeah, that you still have your coffee. So I think we're doing okay. So. You're right. We would have lost a huge part of our demographic if we had our listenership. <laughs> hey, but the reason I bring this up isn't just to, to talk about that. It's, it ties into the podcast in this way. So the other day I was biking and I was, I was, I was actually further west of town than I've ever been before. And I saw a sign that said scenic bikeway. And I thought, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I feel like I got a lot of strength in my legs. I'm going to go down this road. I haven't looked at a map. I don't know where it ends, but I just want to go down this road and see what's down there. And then I'll come back. So I ended up in a town that I, have I've seen on a map before. And I said to myself, I think I'm in Yanel County. I was all the way out <laughs> in Yanel County. And I said to myself, I think I'm by Randy's new farm. Now, because of quarantine, I've never been to your new farm. So I have no idea how close I was. But as I biked back to Portland, it was like 50 miles, I think, or something that day. As I biked back over here, I got thinking to myself, oh, when I'm vaccinated, I'm going to bike out and record live with Randy. I want to go see the farm. <laughs> I want to hug him and Edith. And I want to record live face to face with Randy. So I came up with this idea that when I'm eventually vaccinated and I'm and I'm going to head out there, I want to invite any listeners that we have who want to join me to bike out uh, to see you and to be a part of a live recording uh, sitting around oh. talking. I think that would be an amazing, amazing celebration of finally getting out of quarantine. And so it would give me something to work towards. So if anybody wants to join me on this ride, it will probably be in April or May. Uh, if anybody wants to join me, let, let us know and we'll make a day of it. We can call this Tour de Elahe. Oh, you're so good at this stuff. It's incredible. I can't believe how fast you're going. Yeah, and then we can, 
you know, we'll have roosters in the back, a rooster in the background crowing. We'll have our bees, our honeybees, you know, which we get in April, uh, nice. going to be, you know, flying around and we'll have cats probably meowing. It'll be great. Uh, farm sounds. Yeah. <laughs> Man, this is really given. I need a goal. And so training, uh, with the prospect of coming out and seeing your new farm and being in the same space with you and Edith, that is going to motivate me. I'm very excited about this. Tour de Elohe. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So I'm continuing. I'm on your Facebook page. And I, by the way, if you don't follow Randy, if you're not friends with Randy on Facebook, you have to friend him because he is a constant supply of uh, material you post you not only you know link to things and share things that generate conversation but you often will post your, your own words your own conviction and so if you're not friends with with randy please uh do that because uh he's just a fantastic resource for what's going on out there in the world uh but randy so you've posted about eggs i asked you about eggs and you've been writing, and so you have two different books coming out this year. Um, one is in April, and I want to make sure I get the title right. It is Indigenous Theology and the Western Worldview, subtitled A Decolonized Approach to Christian Doctrine. So I think the subtitle no, is... No, that's actually April, April 2022. Oh, 2022. Oh. Yes. So you just finished writing this. Uh, so um, basically about oh, maybe two to three months ago, okay. um, what it's developed from the Hayward lectures yes. in uh, Nova Scotia. Yes. And so uh, if they like, if they want to publish what you had to say, uh, and and there's some really great people who've gone before me. I still don't know how I got the invitation, but, you know, like you're going Moltmann and, you know, uh, um, N.T. Wright and, you know, J wow. James Dunn and others have done this in the past. Yeah. And somehow I got invited on a fluke. And uh, so if they like what you have to say, they publish a book based on your lectures. And so then we had to, you know, uh, record, uh, take all the lectures and transcribe them and, yeah. and then write other stuff and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so these are, this book is developed from the lectures that I gave, but yeah, I finished, I think I finished my editing portion of that about three to four months ago. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. So, but, but for some reason, and I don't know, maybe it's because it's more of an academic book, it's Baker academic. Um, it won't be out. They said until, uh, 2022, but I love the cover. You know, I mean, I think the cover is what's drawing people, not me. The cover's just really, really great looking. And, uh, and you know, all of a sudden I've got like 600 likes and, you know, yeah. 140 uh, uh, comments and just, you know, and I, I think it has, I think you can sometimes judge a book by its cover. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, if you want to see this cover, I will include it in the show notes. So uh, depending on what device you're listening on, just look in the comments or the show notes below if you want to see this really uh, striking cover. It's, it's really beautiful. Okay, so I'm, I'm, more, I'm asking you about... See the reviews now. 
the reviews are going to say like incredible book cover. I wish the rest of the book was as great or something like that, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah. It's, it'll look great on your coffee table. Just don't open it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? I, I have big news about books. Cause I actually like to write, right? Yeah. So in case anybody has some kind of fantasy that uh, writers like me uh, make a lot of money on their books, uh-huh. it's not the case at all. Just so you know, yeah, you know, usually it's you, you make like uh, maybe a dollar something a book or something like that. So unless you're selling like you know ten thousand books or fifty thousand books, you're you're not really making any money um, uh, on the books. But I do want people to read what I write because I want to have influence. I think, you know, my experiences, et cetera, um, you know, warrant a little bit of uh, wisdom, maybe not a lot, but a little bit. And and I want people to be in dialogue about that. Right. So, um, so we did get, you know, our book dropped this year, right. The, the, the decolonizing evangelicalism. And then I've got another book that's, that's coming out around Christmas time called becoming rooted. It's a hundred day journey, uh, on sacred earth. And that book, um, is going to be, are you ready for this? Yeah. Only one other person in the world knows about this. Oh, okay. It's going to be my first hardcover book. Really? Yeah, and that's a big deal to writers. I've never had a hardcover book before, so um, so this this that that means they have a lot of confidence in you know getting a lot of books out there. So is that what that means, huh? That is really interesting. Why do you think? I mean, I'm excited about that book too, but why do you think that book more than your others? Um, I think they this book is going to um, supersede the uh, Christian market that most of my books have been written in and it will be available as a book on basically spirituality and ecology and all those kinds of things, not directed towards a particular religion, but just spirituality in general. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Randy, I'm so, I'm so happy that uh, not only that your uh, words are getting out there, but that it's getting uh, a positive response. It makes me so happy to know that more people are going to be engaging uh, with your ideas and your perspective. And just, I, I know uh, the impact that it has. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah. And I, you know, like I say, a lot of times when I talk, um, you know, I like to engage in dialogue. I learned from it, um, but I might be wrong. <laughs> You know, everything I say might be wrong, uh, but I hope not. But, you know, it could be. So, you know, let's have dialogue about these things instead of thinking like one person's an expert. So I put my stuff out there so that we can create dialogue. Yeah. You know, I and I've really uh, modeled from you. I, I do that. And, you know, sometimes at the beginning of a presentation, if I get to you know, speak to a group I've never spoken to before, or if I'm a, you know, a guest speaker somewhere, I will often start by saying, you know, there, there's a chance I'm wrong about this. <laughs> and so people are like, what a yeah. weird way to start a presentation. But I really do think that it sets, <laughs> it sets a good tone and it gets you away from being like the expert who has to be confronted. If you disagree, I'm like, nah, I, I know yeah. this is, I know this is controversial and it's coming from a unique perspective, but I still think it's worth considering. 
So anyway, yeah, that's that's what we do. The the more people at the table discussing yeah. our concerns, you know, you usually can come up with a better solution. Agreed. Yeah, unless all of those people are indoctrinated in the same uh, flawed dogma, that's the only. That's my only caveat is. Sometimes groupthink doesn't work if everybody has been socialized and groomed and conditioned by the same ideology. Absolutely. You, you got to introduce a, a new DNA if you're going to have new children. Good, good, good. Hey, one more thing, and I think that this will be uh, probably the rest of our episode today. Uh, I, I saw on your Facebook page that I wanted to ask about is you posted this, I'm sorry, it's not funny. I, it's just rarely do I see Vladimir Putin and Chinese, the criticism from China uh, in a positive light. And so it really caught me <laughs> off guard. <laughs> and, I, and I know what you're talking about is deadly serious and not funny. It's just, it really... When I saw that, I'm like, is Randy quoting Putin and the Chinese government? It really took me aback for a minute. But uh, talk to us about that that uh, most recent post you put up. Why don't you, do you have it up? I, I did, and then I, I apparently accidentally closed it. So I'm trying to bring it up again. Okay. Because it'd probably be more succinct just to read it oh, okay, than you talking, okay. yammering around about it for a long time. All right, here yeah, we uh, Yeah, go ahead. Yesterday, Putin of Russia publicly condemned the U.S. for its hypocrisy, citing the United States' treatment of Native Americans. The same day, China stated America has deep divides, citing the Black Lives Matter movement as a protest against U.S. injustice, as an example. Violent crimes against Asian America, Americans have risen 150% from a year ago. Oh, my God. And immigrant, anti-immigrant rhetoric is common in the Republican Congress, focused primarily against Latin Americans. And the FBI just released a study saying domestic terrorists slash white supremacists like the Trumpians who stormed the Capitol on January 6th are the number one threat to our national security. How do we stop the violence? How do we stop the evil rhetoric? And the real question is this, when is white supremacy going to end? It only will end when white people say enough. Thanks to those who are saying it now, Saying enough means inviting leaders of color who oppose white supremacy to make white folks aware and educate them as to what is really happening and the relationship to what has happened in the past. If you identify as white American, you must make room in your churches and clubs and schools and social media and elections and homes for this to happen. What are you waiting for? Start making room. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting that all of this is sort of happening at one time. And it's all been happening all along, you know, 
there's there's always been a sort of an ebb and flow of anti-Asian rhetoric and anti-Asian violence. Um, uh, the same, you know, uh, against black folks and Native Americans. And, you know, uh, it's all of this is nothing new. Right. But maybe it's because of COVID and we're all able to look at the news every day and spend time talking and thinking and watching social media and all the rest that that all of a sudden it's starting to get to people and understand, wow, hey, Houston, we have a problem. And the problem is white supremacy. And so, you know, I mean, I remember when, you know, I wrote my book on uh, diversity back in 2000. Uh, So it was uh, uh, Living in Color, Embracing God's Passion for Ethnic Diversity. So um, and then republished by InterVarsity in 2004. So when that first came out, when it first came out the first time under Baker, um, I had like 30 radio interviews. Right. And you know what? I would say uh, at least one third of those began with. Do we really have a problem with diversity anymore? I mean, the whole world has changed, right? And this was just right before 9-11, right? And, uh, and, and, and the whole idea was from white uh, people was like, hey, we're beyond this now, right? And, uh, and then uh, so, so I, we talked about diversity for a long time. And then in, in multiculturalism, multi, you know, sort of uh, intercultural stuff, and then we got to, to the point where we've been talking about race, right, and racism. And, uh, and now we're finally, because I've been trying to talk about white supremacy for years. Mm. Now we're finally, America, you're finally beginning to say the words white supremacy. Yeah. And this is a golden moment for people of color and uh, LGBTQ and other people who are the substandard in America uh, as to the white norm. And so today, interesting day that all this stuff is kind of coming out together and that we can begin to talk about the real problem, the real reason we need diversity, uh, the real reason we need to talk about racism. It's not because of people of color. It's not our problem. It's not the problem of Native Americans or Black Americans or Asian Americans or Latinx Americans, or, or it's the problem of white people. And so until white people begin to see it as their problem to solve, it's going to continue. And I I love like uh, writers like Heather McGee, for example, where she writes in her new book and she talks about that, that it is actually the racism and the white supremacy that's occurring actually goes against the best entrance interest, uh, the best entrance interest. (laughs) That's hard to say. Mm -hmm. It goes against the best interest of white people to see it continue. And yet people will like cut their nose off to spite their face and not do anything about it. Because to me, the real racism is uh, the inability to connect with it. The uh, ability to say, I'm just going to go on with my life as normal and say, that's okay. So, so this is, we're finally getting to a place uh, in our history where we can talk about white supremacy and you see the kickback you see it in congress you see it in the senate you see the uh, uprising you see the whole trump era you see the uh, uprising the uh, against the capitol on january 6th all of this stuff is rhetoric posed uh, to to really prolong and further our problem which is white supremacy I have two things that are really heavy on my heart today. The first is 
that in the past year, I've heard many of my Asian American friends say that there is a new menacing attitude towards Asian Americans that they have um, had to uh, adjust to because, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, often Asian Americans were called the model minority, right? Their kids are good at math and science and they excel and go to Ivy League schools and uh, they work yeah, hard. Let me interrupt just for one second to, to make a really quick cogent point. And that is, see, this is the danger of becoming too close to being white when you're not white. White people will not allow you to get into that category of whiteness if you look different. Now, they allow the Irish, they've allowed Jewish people, uh, they've allowed Eastern Europeans. But when you start getting darker tones or or you have uh, different facial features or something like that, you can't be white. See, that was the whole idea of, of Native American boarding schools, mm. that whole oppression and uh, that, that went on for almost 100 years was just, we want to teach you how to become American citizens like us. But guess what? You're second class citizens. You don't get to be white. So that was that's what assimilation does for you. OK, sorry. No, that was wow. That's I. That's actually one of the deepest things I've ever heard someone say about this issue. That was I mean, that's really scary, actually. Uh, but so I just wanted to say that to my Asian American friends, I just wanted to say that our hearts obviously are uh, with you today. And Randy, they have been telling me that whether it's taking their kids to the bus stop or going to the grocery store or just wherever, that because of the attitudes of some as to the origins of this coronavirus and the different racist things it gets called and the blame that gets put on Asian people for uh, the origins of this thing, allegedly, um, that the attitude towards Asian Americans has become noticeably worse. And the verbiage around it that some of them have been yelled at by strangers and all sorts of other manifestations. So the fact that the fact that uh, this event down in Georgia has happened obviously is tragic as a uh, you know, a, a pinnacle, but that attitude, apart from any news story and any tragedy, the attitude is pervasive and is everywhere and it doesn't make the news. And I just want to acknowledge. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah and, and, you know, yes, uh, the whole, uh, political speech of uh of you know the china virus and all that kind of stuff did um um sort of set the stuff loose mm -hmm. but it didn't create it mm -hmm. you know this anti-asian rhetoric and anti-asian thought and anti you know uh this this whole idea about um people who are different from quote unquote us mm -hmm. right 
uh, being a menace to society. That's always been here in America, always, ever since the very beginning. And so it just let it loose. It gave it the freedom, just like Donald Trump gave the freedom for, you know, all this white supremacy. And, the, and it's now been unleashed. And so we're just seeing the unleashing of it. It, un it unleashes, by the way, you know, different times. Like I said, it ebb and flows throughout history. There was the Anti-Chinese Immigration Act, which always, you know, uh, was not just the Chinese. It was really used against all Asians. There was the, the Japanese internment. Um, there was the um, miners uh, strikes and the railroad strikes where they uh, a lot of times there were whole whole encampments that were slaughtered of uh, of uh, Asian railroad workers. Mm -hmm. There were uh, city riots in Seattle and Tacoma and other places where all the Asian people were marched out of town. And so, um, you know, this is not something that's new. This is something that has just sort of become unleashed now. Wow. There is one other... And, and it's not about Asians. That's the point. It's not... It's, this has nothing to do with Asian people. This has everything to do with white supremacy. <laughs> 